Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, I'm Ian Parkinson. Not sure when you're listening to this, but to give you some context, at the time of recording, we're heading into the second week of the 2017 Tour de France. Cavendish and Sagan are out of the race after their coming together in Vittel, and Chris Froome is still in yellow. It's also almost exactly 50 years since the death of the man described on his memorial as an Olympic medalist, world champion and British sporting ambassador, Tom Simpson. So it seems appropriate to spend some time talking about Simpson and the mountain that will forever be linked with him, Mont Ventoux. We'll be hearing from authors Jeremy Whittle and Andy McGrath, who've both written new books about Ventoux and Simpson, respectively. Before that, though, Mont Ventoux doesn't feature in this year's tour, a decision, of course, made by tour director Christian Prudhomme. So, when he sat down with his pencil and his big Michelin map of France to create a route for 2017, what was on his mind? To have a route where everything is possible. Uh, it will be the first time for 25 years that we'll have a, a, a route with uh, five big mountains in France. So, there will be, for example, two flat stages and after another type of stages, time trial, mountain stages. No more than two stages in a row with the same kind of, of, of route uh, during this tour, 2017. No more Ventoux uh, next year. A lot of people thought that it might have been included because of the 50th anniversary of Tommy Simpson. Was that anything to do with um, what happened on Ventoux in 2016? No. Uh, Tommy Simpson is, is of course, a, a great champion and, and we have the, in mind the memory of, of Tom Simpson. Uh, and it will stay. But uh, it was not possible for us to have twice Ventoux in a row on the route of the Tour. It doesn't depend on, on what happened uh, this year because most of the route of the Tour is done before the Tour. So it's, it's done 15 months before, 14 months before, sometimes for one stage, 11 months before. But uh, most of the route is made before. I think you were quoted as saying that uh, you hope that this year uh, there might be a route that would um, change the, the catenaccio uh, of, um, of the Tour in, in recent years. In other words, the sort of defensive riding which we've seen in some tours. How, how would that work? Yes, uh, I, I totally agree. That's what we want to do with this route. But um, I, I want to say, uh, last July, we had a great winner. 
Chris Froome was a great winner. What, what he did on the descent of Col de Pérosourde to take the yellow jersey in Luchon, what he did uh, on the road to Montpellier uh, following Peter Sagan uh, and was just great. So, so um, it's not a total question of, of Chris Froome or the same winner for the third time or for the fourth time or for the fifth time. But yes, we would like to have a, a more open race and it doesn't depend on Chris Froome once again. But that's why we'll have uh, uh, these five big mountains. We'll have a uh, uh, more difficult uh, race to secure. I hope so. And I would be very happy with this route and only eight or seven riders per team. That's for me very important. That's one thing you've been saying for a while, that uh, you'd like to reduce the number of riders from uh, yes. nine to eight or seven. Yes, for, for two reasons. First reason is secure safety. Um, 20 years ago there was eight, nine riders per team and there was I don't know uh, uh, per, uh, per, per stage uh, 100 or 150 uh, um, less infrastructure on the roads so the first question is safety but the second is of course a more open race that's true Oh, one question I imagine you're always asked um, outside of France is, is there any suggestion that the 2017 route is designed for a French winner, perhaps yeah. Romain Bordet? <laughs> no. It, you know, last year I heard uh, the, the route was made for Nairo Quintana or Thibaut Pinot. Nairo Quintana was third, Chris from one, and, and, and Thibaut Pinot left the race. So you, 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 can't do the ra you, you can do the race for... A, kind a type of rider but you can't do the race for, for a rider that's not true for one rider that's not true if it has to happen a French rider it will happen but what is important for us is, is a, a, a nice race not the winner a nice race with uh, different things and that's the most important for an, for an organizer even for a French organizer the most important is, is a, a great race not a French winner You've just come off stage at an event in London where the crowd were yelling and cheering you and, and, and clapping you. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, most, no. of the, most of this audience wouldn't have heard of the Tour de France. Is, is that sort of... Yes. When, when I was a kid, I was 13 years old, I, I, I saw on TV, on the French TV, the, 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 the first, tour, first route of the tour uh, were a, a British stage uh, in '74. Uh, in 2007, it was my first tour as director, and the cho choice was made by Jean-Marie Leblanc, not for me. The unforgettable start in London, and seven years after, the grandest Grand Depart ever uh, in Yorkshire, uh, thanks to Gary Brady, thanks to Gary's team. So, uh, yes, uh, what is very important for me, it's not only the route for the riders, that's of course very important, but that the smiles on everybody's face. And Yorkshire, in, 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 for the fan of cycling, Yorkshire is a new Belgium. Yorkshire is, in the 21st century, the heart of cycling. So that's just a, a, a gift for us. That's, I'm like a, a, a child uh, ahead of a Christmas tree when, when I come to Yorkshire. So Gary Verity, is, is Yorkshire the new Belgium? I hope so. Uh, we, we love cycling. Uh, everybody loves cycling in Yorkshire. So many people are cycling, children, older people, people like me, fat people, um, slow people like me, old people like me. 
Uh, it's fantastic, and we love having the Tour de Yorkshire, which is uh, a joint venture between myself and Christian. It's fantastic. We want a four-day race, not a three-day race, so we can do a two-day women's race. Very, very important for women's cycling. A lot of support uh, for the race. Uh, and we have the World Championships, as you've said, coming in uh, 2019. And we have the Tour de France coming back again to Yorkshire in the future. So when is the Tour de France coming back to Yorkshire? I don't know, but it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Uh, the Grand Depart in 2014 was the grandest Grand Depart ever. That's true. And, you know, many French people don't like when the Tour uh, starts abroad. But when they talk about Yorkshire, I say, wow, wow. So many people, that's just unbelievable. And it was in Yorkshire. And where is Yorkshire? Yorkshire is halfway between London and Scotland, and it's just uh, such a pleasant place to live and to ride. Christian Prudhomme and Sir Gary Verity at the Ruler Classic. And tickets for this year's Classic are on sale now. It runs from the 2nd to the 4th of November, and the days are themed around the great one-day monuments of cycling. When the route for the 2017 Tour de France was announced, there was some disappointment from some people that it wouldn't be visiting Mont Ventoux, if for no other reason than this year marked the 50th anniversary of the death of Tom Simpson on its baking slopes. Well, this year does see, however, the publication of two books with the mountain at their very heart. The first by Jeremy Whittle is simply called Ventoux and is effectively a love letter to the mountain and its history. Uh, The second, Bird on the Wire, tells in words and pictures the story of Tom Simpson's life and death and is written by Andy McGrath, managing editor of Rouleur. Jeremy, can I uh, come to you first of all? Were you one of those people who were uh, disappointed that uh, the Tour de France is not visiting Ventoux this year? I was extremely disappointed, yeah. I think it's a real missed opportunity and an oversight on their part. I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I've talked to Christian Prudhomme about it, uh, the director of the tour, and he said that it's because there was no candidature or candidacy of the region or the town. But I find that quite hard to believe. I was down at the Ventoux a match of days ago, and uh, there's a lot of posters about uh, Simpson, the various events that are coming up to mark the 50th anniversary. Um, And it's such a mecca now for cyclists. I I read this morning that 126,000 cyclists rode up the mountain last last year, including one who ran. Um, So, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's really disappointing. I mean, it's such such a pivotal uh, monument to the tour. And I think if they're sweeping the kind of tragedy of Simpson under the carpet, I think that's a real shame because I think we, we should do more to celebrate that the man beyond, he wasn't just a cyclist, he was a father and a husband and all of those things as well. And I think, you know, you should look at somebody in the round rather than just a, because there was a controversy over his death. One of the other suggestions is that Von Tue is is becoming increasingly difficult for the modern tour with all the paraphernalia of live television, the huge uh, crowds that go up the mountains these days. Do you accept that at all? I do, yes. And I think that's a real shame as well. And uh, I, I'm kind of starting to weary a little bit of the logistical demands of the tour that mean that you know it can't go to some of the locations that really were part of the legend and the history of the tour um, and it's, it's not just the Von Tue that's kind of now getting difficult for them because they have a huge caravan huge publicity caravan 
because they have enormous lorries, TV trucks, because all the teams have these massive buses. I mean, last year when uh, they curtailed the, the summit finish to Chalet Reynard on the Von 2, which is when Chris Froome inf- infamously ran those last uh, 500 metres, um, we went over the top after the stage where you know, it, was, it was curtailed because of high winds, and it was completely bonkers. It was completely crazy. I, I couldn't believe they sent the team buses over the top. In fact, when I spoke to Rod Inningworth the next day, he kind of said the bus was leaning over at 30 degrees as they went over the top. The wind was so strong and all the all the riders were lying on the floor in tears of fear. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, all of that said, you know, there must... What's more important? The money of the caravan, the, the, the revenue that comes from TV or the splendour of the legend and the, uh, you know, the appeal of the legend of the tour? Because that, that's what got me into cycling in the first place. Not... not um, Fantastic! They've made you know, fifty million euros from the caravan this year. Uh, I called it a sort of love letter to the mountain. Why does it have so much appeal to you? I uh, didn't really know much about cycling when I first started to scratch around. It was the mid mid eighties when I was weary with football. I was primarily a footballer, and then I had a, I had a friend who had a kind of life size poster of Francesco Moza on his on his bedroom wall, and he used to go to Soho and buy all these strange magazines, cycling magazines, I hesitate to add. <coughs> and he was head-to-toeing Campagnolo. He was an architect. And he just kind of badgered me until I'd liked cycling, really. And then, uh, you know, I started reading about all the great climbs and, of course, came across the Simpson story and then thought, I've got to go and see this mountain. And we drove down there um, and made, made a pilgrimage, basically. We didn't actually ride it. We just went up in a mini-metro. That was that was almost as bad as riding it, and 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 that was that was when it all started. It was the first real climb that I saw that I suddenly real the, you know the the scales fell from my eyes. I suddenly realised the magnitude of professional racing in Europe. How many times have you ridden it now? Do you know? Twenty, thirty times, but um, these days it's at a very gentlemanly pace. Um, but no, I, I mean when I, the first few times were with you know ambitions of improving my time, but I just never. I mean, I was the Guido Bontempi of, of the peloton, you know, I was, I was at the back hoping, hoping it would end soon. There used to be a sportive called the Tom Simpson, actually a randonnée called the Tom Simpson, which was running in the 80s, and that was the first time I rode it in a kind of timed event. And uh, I did that a few years, and every time hoped to be slightly better, but it just, it's one of those places where, you know, it doesn't matter how fit you are, if, if it psychs you out, you're kind of done for. And every time I went up from Bedouin, certainly, I found out I was... I was psyched out. Mal- Malasen, the north side, people say is a little bit better, but I still think it's very tough. Christian Pridom has said that Vontu will be back at some point in the tour. Do you think it will be, or do you think it's the, that's the end of uh, the tour for Vontu? That's an interesting question, because you know what? I, I was looking around when we were at uh, Chalet Reynard after... The, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a mess, I suppose, but it wasn't a, the greatest... <laughs> finish that the tour has had um, in 2016 when obviously Froome crashed, the crowd was spilling out all over the road, we, you know, there were barriers blown over, there was the, the zone technique where they have all the TV lorries and were, was, a, was a shambles and there wasn't much security and that may now, given the, the, given the climate we're living in in Europe now, that may be another factor as well that, you know, it's particularly difficult mountain I'm not really sure why, but maybe it's a particularly difficult mountain to ensure the security of the bubble of the race. Um, but 
I think that's a huge shame because, as I, as I said earlier, I, th I think it's, it's just such a special place, such a un unique place. There is something slightly weird about it, isn't it? Because unlike other mountains, it, you know, but apart from anything else, it stands on its own, doesn't it? It's, you know, you've got to make a real effort to go and, <laughs> go and visit it. Yeah, yeah. And it's spooky as well. I mean, I went up there, as I say, a few days ago. I was down there and I went, went, went up there just to, uh, just to... I mean, I've been up there loads of times, but I decided to go up kind of late evening and to make a pilgrimage also, almost to the Simpson Memorial because I've been talking to Joanne Simpson a fair bit during the, during the writing of the book and uh, had a, felt I had a more of an insight into the kind of, you know, the family tragedy of Simpson for her and for her mum and for everybody involved. And um, I found it incredibly moving that he, was, that he got so close to the summit. I was just having a chat with Andy earlier on about it and... He was only a few minutes from going over the top, and he, you know, obviously we don't know what would have happened beyond that with his life and his career, but presumably he he would have been okay if he got over the top because uh, after that there wasn't there, there weren't that many obstacles remaining in the tour, and it's it's eerie. I remember the first time I went up there again was late evening, and it was it was very eerie, and we we went down slightly, you know, with we had like a shiver across our shoulders as we were standing around up there. And it's not a place that you want to hang around unless you're very lucky and there's no wind and the sun's shining bright. But it's, it's a desolate place. Andy, there have been many books about Tom Simpson uh, over the years, including one written by himself. What was it that made you think that actually there was room for another one? I just knew there were many other untold stories out there. And I knew that if I wanted to write a Tom Simpson book, but I didn't want to include the things that have gone before. Well, I wanted to seek out new material from his teammates, his family, his friends, and there were plenty of new anecdotes. Uh, it was never boring when I was interviewing people. There was always something fresh that I hadn't seen before. And in a way, the book is, it is, of course, related to one too, and that fateful day in 1967. But in many ways, I wanted to extricate it from that connection. Um, because there was so much life to Tom Simpson, and he packed so much into 29 years. I wanted to celebrate more the racer and the man uh, and his achievements, uh, his three monument wins and Bordeaux Parry victory, for example. There's, there's so much there to talk about, and he, he's such a complex man with so many facets. You know, he could be the gentleman, he could be the lovable rogue, the lord and the larrikin, all these things, it, it was a really fascinating journey. It's hard looking back, isn't it? Uh, especially since the manner of his death dominates the story so much, to remember quite what a star he was, both in the UK but also on the continent. He was very strange, a kind of a British champion who owed his fame to everything he'd achieved outside of Britain. But it meant that when he returned to the UK, he was fated. You know, he was BBC Sports Personality of the Year in '65. He went skiing with Petula Clark, and he was celebrity uh, uh, back then. Uh, it wasn't quite Beatle mania, but still, he was extremely famous. And the pictures show what a stylish rider and and person he was as well, wasn't he? He was he was very much a, a sort of English dandy. That's right. I mean, it was fantastic to have the untold stories, but the rare and some unseen geography just really makes it even better. Um, it isn't just Simpson, but that was probably the end of the golden age of cycling, the end of the, uh, at the end of the 60s. Uh, everything from the simplicity and the colours of the jersey, 
because I think the widespread colour photography was just um, in its commercial infancy then through to the look of the riders and the bike it was all changing the tour was evolving you know uh, I think it was 62 maybe was Simpson it was the first time that it switched from national teams to trade teams and the tour was catching up with, with every other race. It didn't want to be left behind. So the book shows that too. It was really um, a decade of great change for the sport as well. I guess for both of you, one of the sort of challenges that, that comes across a bit in the book is, is kind of separating the fact from the fiction in the stories, particularly from the sort of 50s and, and, and 60s, because actually a lot of stuff was... A lot of the stories were embroidered or, or a little fanciful, weren't they? Yeah, but I, I, I love that because I think it... Um, for me, I realised what I was doing was... And this sounds really pretentious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I, I felt like it was almost like um, your painting. It's an impressionist's way of looking at the past because, you know, we don't have any digital imagery. We have still photography. We have some footage, but not that much footage. And then we have all this kind of bluster at the dinner table from, you know, Gemignani and Bobe and Oncotille and everybody else saying, oh, well, he said this and he dunks my head in the bath or, you know, he was drunk or just all these, all these kind of lads' stories of this great time that they had on the road, particularly in the 50s, and actually trying to ascertain, again, we were discussing this earlier, you know, you, you, you can read one report which completely contradicts the report you've just read 15 minutes earlier, and it can be from a French, from French media again, you know. So, so I really enjoyed that, that, that whole kind of, uh, you know, the yarning, the storytelling of the 50s and the early 60s. Well, I, think, I think by the time we get to kind of, 65, 66, 67, because of the presence of TV cameras everywhere and uh, a realisation that there was, you know, more, more of a media industry around cycling, perhaps in languages other than French, Italian and Belgian, you can, you can see there's a, there's a bit more facts started to creep in. But the 50s are brilliant for kind of, you know, tall tales. Andy, I described uh, Jeremy's book as a sort of, I guess, a labour of love, a sort of love letter. But it, it, it strikes me that, the, that your book, Bird on the Wire, is, is also a bit of a labour of love. I am um, a romantic, but I didn't want to romanticise it too much. In fact, I, there were some things that I've ended up revising from previous um, accounts in the process that weren't, weren't quite right. And it's been quite interesting. The legacy I found really, really interesting because the book doesn't end with Simpson's death. It ends with his legacy and reviewing that because I think me, like many people who know about Simpson, were not around anywhere near, near the time when he was alive. But somehow we've come to it. I think that's because partly the great storytelling tradition of cycling be it in cafe stops or internet forums or cycling literature. And maybe it's a bit of a British thing too. I mean, British journalists, I'm sure it's the same for you, Jeremy, maybe. There's some kind of special affinity that's already there with, with Simpson before, maybe right at the start of getting into cycling. That's one of the first things you hear about. And, of course, it touches you. And maybe the first thing you hear, hear about often is him being the guy who died on 1-2 um, on in the tour. But there's, there's so much more to him than that. It was a year after him won the World Cup, and Bobby Moore was, you know, feted and on every TV show. Tom had been BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Carnaby Street, swinging 60s, was in full swing. There was a real opportunity for him. If he could win the Tour de France, he, he would have been the modern day... He, he would have been the Bradley Wiggins of 
of his time. He'd have been made for life. He'd have been on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band with everybody else. So, you know, it's it's terribly poignant, I think, that you can see this almost kind of uh, sharp guy, uh, you know, working class heroes, worked his way up, learned French, you know, Put, put up with all the all the all the difficulties in the early 1960s that would late 50s early 60s that would that would entail and then he just falls short and the the maybe the von Tu is a metaphor for his whole career that he just falls short you know he, if he got over the von Tu, things could have been so different he could have got on the podium maybe we don't know he could have collapsed with with you know exhaustion because of what he put himself through but you know it, 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 I think the mount, perhaps that's why the mountain is so powerful with, in terms of him as well, because it just sums up, you know, how close he came to being to being truly great, and he he fell short of it. And even though I, I've written extensively about drugs in in this in this sport, and I think you know we still have a significant problem, and we have our ethical demons in cycling. There's something so touching about his story as well, and the and the bravery of the guy. Joanne Simpson on the wall of her house has, has a photograph of him taking the morning in Marseille. There's some images which you have in, have in, in your book, Andy, of, of him on the, on the boats mucking around with Barry Hoban. But she also has a picture of him picking flowers and messing around for the photographers. Now, you know, he was severely dehydrated. He was exhausted. He'd been sick. He had diarrhoea, you know. And, and he was putting on a brave face because that's what he always did. He always put on a brave face. And that was a kind of foolhardiness that brought him to his knees on the Von too. And that's, for me, that's, I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, I mean, that's what bike riders do. It's always on, 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 put, put me on the bike. Even though that line is probably made up, like it is made up, um, it, it almost doesn't matter because of what it stands for. It's much more powerful than fact or fiction. Uh, what I found was quite a sad thing is that in one way what happened to Simpson on Von Two has made him who he is, has made him fated, but on the other hand, I think every time the tour revisits, it's like an act of reminding people of his crime. His death there and his fault has a whopping half-life. And it's almost like he's paying eternal time for the crime. So I wonder, are we ever, kind of ever going to stop talking about Tom, Tom Simpson, the guy who died with drugs in the system, and talk, talk a little bit more about Tom Simpson, the first British road cycling male champion? I've almost reached a point now where if you look at the... If the more you read about that era and the more you understand that era and the culture that existed, it's kind of irrelevant what was in his system or what wasn't in his system. And by the way, uh, there are very many very different accounts of the autopsy as well, um, and nobody really seems to have drilled down through that. And the autopsy has now been destroyed as well, so we can't refer back to it. And I've almost think if you look at the context of his time I mean now of course it would be, it would be massively, massively relevant but doping controls had only very recently been introduced, the riders generally thought it was a bit of a joke they had doping controls, the riders smoked they drank I mean the cultural values were completely different 50 years ago to the cultural values that we have now and I think it's probably unfair to look back and, and condemn him because of what, what he did in 1960, 1967. Jeremy Whittle and Andy McGrath. On the last podcast, we gave you the chance to win a copy of Jeremy's book, Von Two, Sacrifice and Suffering on the Giant of Provence, by answering the question, in what year did Mont Ventoux first appear on the Tour de France route? The answer was 1951, and the winner was Philip Mercer. The prize this time, Andy McGrath's book, Tom Simpson, Bird on the Wire. And the question... 
Tom Simpson was the first British rider to wear the yellow jersey at the Tour de France, but in what year? Usual deal, go to the editorial section of the Ruler website, find the page for this podcast, all the details will be there. There'll be another podcast along in a couple of weeks, where hopefully we'll be looking at the Hammer series and the Red Hook Crits and asking whether cycling generally needs to modernise its act. See you then. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.